Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey everyone, it's Richard Horvitz, the voice of Invader Sim. Ay-ay-ay-ay-ay, Alpha 5, and day, Billy from the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. And you are listening to the Canned Air Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I am Jack Doherty. And I am Randy Hardenbrook. And boy, oh boy, if this wasn't a fun episode. <laughs> this is a blast. It Very was much. so much fun. We were uh, privileged enough to welcome the gentleman who brought to life characters like Billy from the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, Daggett from the Angry Beavers, Zim from Invader Zim, and Alpha 5 from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And the people, that's <laughs> that's just scratching. That's a drop yeah. in the bucket. <laughs> uh, the, the, the amount of work he's done. He's been going at it his whole life, so that IMDB is just overflowing we were privileged enough to uh get to sit and talk with richard horvitz today still beside myself it was a great interview you know this was this was a very unique one where uh after our questions are kind of asked it just kind of wind down into just fun conversation (laughs) we didn't expect just talking tv and movies and just oh it was so much fun so i'm not going to give too much away i'm excited for you guys to hear it but before we get to it don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air and at uh, CandairPodcast.com, our website. There are two different buttons on there that you can show your support. A merch button, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, and a Patreon link that'll take you to our Patreon page where uh, for 5 to $10 a month you can get access to a plethora. <laughs> Tons of extra catalogs of stuff we've been uh, doing over the years. So. Uh, well worth the money there. Uh, what am I forgetting, gentlemen? Uh, you're, we're uh, proud members of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Check us out on evergreenpodcast.com. There it is. And I think that's everything, right? That's it. Yep. I don't want to keep the people waiting no, on this. No, they're going to want to hear yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just cut right over to our conversation with Richard Horvitz. Richard, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be with us here today. It's really an honor to have you on the show. The honor is mine. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. All the different characters you've brought to life and uh, just all the different avenues that you've been in all of our lives over the years. Absolutely. It's, uh, again, very much a pleasure to have you here. But let's uh, let's kind of jump back to your childhood. You know, one thing I had oh. read about you is that you got started very young. Like, not only did you start at 10 years old, but by five, you knew what you wanted to do. How does a five-year-old know that they want to pursue this career? Wow, you have done some deep research. I am very impressed. Yeah, um, (laughs) I knew at five years old um, that I wanted to be in entertainment because I was obsessed with television. I'm one of those kids in the 60s and 70s that was sat in front of a TV set. And I fell in love with the show Get Smart. And oh, I wow. Okay. <laughs> Don Adams, I just was like 
Don Adams, you know, Agent 86 and 99, Barbara Feldon. I just loved it. And I loved Don Adams' delivery. And I didn't realize delivery, you know, at, you know, six years old or seven mm -hmm. years old. But I also watched um, Flip Wilson and Tom Jones, or as my mom used to call him, Tom Jones from England, even though he was Welsh. Uh, or is Welsh. <laughs> is Welsh. Um, and I just used to do imitations of Tom Jones, you know, sw swiveling my hips. And, and I would do, uh, I would do uh, Flip Wilson as, uh, you know, Geraldine. And uh, my dad would just go, oh, I'm going to bed. But I loved it. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how I knew. And, and that's, I just knew that I always wanted to entertain. And I just knew it. And, and uh, my parents were not, uh, you know, show business savvy. And so it took a while. But there was a church play uh, at our church that I grew up at. And the man who... Uh, had written it and directed it was a man named Floyd Huddleston who had written the music for the Aristocats for Disney. Oh, oh wow. And, yeah. And, um, my, uh, I did this, this play for him and he said to my mom and dad that he wanted to introduce me to his agent at the time. And at this point I was 10 and that's literally how I got into the, into the business. Incredible. I just, and I've said this to somebody else before, but like at five years old, that young, I'm still thinking I can find Smurfs in my backyard <laughs> and still thinking that I can grow up to be a Ninja Turtle. I'm not even thinking about that kind of behind the scenes stuff. It's, it's crazy. It's really awesome. How, um, just aware you were of the medium at such a young age. I wanted to be well, a cowboy. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I wanted to be speed racer, to be honest. With you. I, wanted to be speed <laughs> I mean, I turned, I turned every toy and every, you know, push cart with my feet into the Mach five. But that said, I would probably say that, what I knew was the place where you get the most validation for being funny <laughs> was, <laughs> was TV. And the, and the, the best part of it all is that, is that when I started my career and by the time, you know, I got to the eighties, I had worked with everyone I had, I had watched on TV. I worked with Alan Hill Jr., the skipper from Gilligan's Island, the Brady oh, Kids, yeah. um, David Carradine, Kung Fu, um, you just name it. I, I, I got to uh, Dave Madden, Ruben Kincaid from, uh, the Partridge family. Wow, uh, and so that was just my, my joy. I mean, I was a fanboy before I think it was termed fanboy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you, uh, had already said that your uh, folks weren't, uh, into show business. They weren't in that business, but, uh, I'm, I'm taking it. They were very supportive of your wanting to be in that business. Yeah. You know, um, we grew up in the, I, I grew up, our family was from the San Fernando Valley. We moved to the San Fernando Valley in 1950. Uh, back then, uh, the San Fernando Valley was mostly orange trees and chicken farms. And, and uh, it, was, it was like the country. It was like the country in the desert. And there were two types of families in the San Fernando Valley at the time. The, the aerospace families, which my father was uh, worked for Rocketdyne. So he worked on all the Apollo rockets and he, he worked on the space shuttle before he retired. Um, and then there was the entertainment families and we were just the aerospace families. Um, but, um, the, uh, th my mom didn't really drive the freeways. And so my mom was very supportive because she had to learn to drive into Hollywood. And when you live in the Valley, you know, back then it seemed like Hollywood was another world. It's, you know, it's literally 20 minutes without traffic, but we, you know, we didn't, 
really venture out past our own neighborhood most of the time. Right. And so my mom was very supportive. My dad was very supportive. Um, overall, you know, uh, I think it's easy to be supportive and encouraging when you're working. So when there was the proof that I, that I, you know, was making money doing this, they let, yeah, let's do that. So, and to be honest with you, um, the money that I made as a kid helped a lot. It helped the whole family. It helped me, uh, it helped with bills and stuff. So right. it was, a, it was a good, it was a good, good bet on their part. A good investment, <laughs> I'd like to say. And then the first gig you had was the uh, freshen up, uh, bubblegum commercial, correct? Well, the very first gig I had was as a hand model. I was a hand model, uh, for, um, I think it was Kenner toys. I think oh, it was wow. Kenner. Um, it was during the days of um, Star Wars. Okay. And because I was older but looked much younger, when they would cut to close-ups, of, I was playing with something called Kent and his Cosmic Cruiser. That was the, the, the toy that I was uh, my hands were shown playing with. Look, you know, here <laughs> I am playing with this toy. And it was just my hands. Um, and I longed to be more than just a pretty hand. And so then I would say, I guess Freshen Up Bubblegum was one of them. I did another one for Chevy Citation, uh, Rustler Steakhouse, Cleveland Press Newspaper. So yeah, I guess Freshen Up and Chevy were my first national commercials. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And back in those days, there were only three networks. So you made a lot of money. <laughs> Tunnel Vision, right. Yeah. I was going to bring up the uh, the hand modeling thing, but you kind of already... Uh... Yeah. Swooped in there on that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and when I, I had actually auditioned for the kid in the commercial, but they had us all show our hands and I didn't get to be on camera except for my hands. So it's like, <laughs> you know, was there any directing or was it just here, kid play with this? We're going to shoot your hands. Yeah. They're like, just hold it right there because they would set it up so that, you know, that you see like the best angle of the, of the toy. There's like mm. certain secrets in commercials. Like, you know, the, the actual toy is like a pristine, shiny one. It's not necessarily the, you know, the plastic one you get in the box. <laughs> this, this show that I, this commercial I did for Rustler Steakhouse, it was a family in the 1800s, you know, so we, I was dressed, you know, in 18, 18, you know, 80, you know, costuming. And we're supposed to be in a Rustler Steakhouse in 1880. And we're supposed to be eating ribs and they, they shellacked the ribs. Oh, but those God. are the ribs they wanted you to take a bite at. It. So they shellacked the ribs, and you would bite it and go, mmm, and then spit it out. Oh, <laughs> my. Jeez. Oh, yeah. oh. That had to taste horrid. <laughs> but, you know, little known facts about Hollywood. You know, back in the days of... Um, of James Cagney in the gangster movies way back in the in the 1930s. Right. They were using real bullets on on the set. So when they were gunfights, yeah, and it's one of the things that um one of the reasons they formed Screen Actors Guild and and uh Jimmy Cagney wasn't going to sign a new contract for Warner Brothers until they agreed to not use real bullets. Jesus. I mean, it Cow. seems like a reasonable request. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Would not want to be somebody an extra in one of those movies. <laughs> no. No. Talk about practical effects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you uh, were then, you know, as you were coming up doing appearances on like Rags to Riches, uh, oh, Head yeah. of the Class, Different Strokes, which I was Different a huge strokes. fan of. Yeah. I loved that show. I, I was on uh, uh, Arnold Drummond's football team and Mr. Drummond had bought uniforms for the whole team. And that's how Arnold got on the team. 
Oh, so, really? Yeah. Wow. Buying his Capitalism way. run amok. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had mentioned, you know, that uh, one of the things I was going to touch on, you already kind of said that, uh, you know, all these people that you had grown up seeing on television, either, you know, acting or just seeing their names in the credits or something, were people you were finding yourself uh, side by side with and working with, like, uh, one you didn't mention was uh, being directed by Carl Reiner in uh, oh, summer yeah. school, which, yeah, holy hell, man, that's incredible. You just had to have been beside yourself. I was, you know, I was young, but I had been around a long time. So by the time I got summer school, in fact, we're coming up on the 35th anniversary of the release of summer wow. school um, on July 22nd of this year. Um, by the time I got to summer school, I, I, I'd been doing a series. I had left UCLA to go do a series for Ted Turner's Superstation WTBS. So it was kind of on a roll at that point. But when I met Carl Reiner, it was my first like major motion picture role. Um, and, and I, to be honest with you, I was spoiled rotten because to start your film career with, you know, Carl Reiner as the director. <laughs> Incredible. Who wanted to be done, uh, who wanted to be out. Uh, by 6 p.m. so he could eat dinner with his family and didn't want to start earlier than 9 a.m. Oh, wow. I was spoiled rotten. <laughs> I, think had, I think we had one night shoot, and that was the party scene. And other than that, I don't think we ever had another night shoot on that one. Yeah. How cool, though. It's yeah. absolutely incredible. I've been pinching myself every step of the way. <laughs> well, Carl, Carl remained one of my dearest friends my whole life after that. Seriously? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, he came... He came to see me in a play that I did at uh, Gary Marshall's Falcon Theater here in Los Angeles. Um, I was at his, sadly, it was a, it was a Zoom memorial, but I was at his memorial um, after he passed away. Um, and that was an amazing event. It was just a real celebration of Carl's life and everyone was there. You know, Billy Crystal and Albert Brooks and Mel wow. Brooks. And mm. It was just, it was just, he was just a great guy. And I'll tell you something about Carl. Carl rarely really wanted to talk about the business. He, every time he saw me, he would always say, how are you? How are the kids? Are you being a good father? That was really important to him. So that's awesome. Kept his work separate, even though what yeah. his work was seemed like fun to everyone. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, here's something I kind of want to touch back on. You had mentioned uh, Alan Hale Jr., you know, the skipper that you got to work with. And uh, from what I took from what I read on your website, that was uh, during your time at Safe at Home, the TBS sitcom, correct? Correct, correct. So when I had done that, when I was doing that series, I guess it was, you know, we did a lot. We did like 105 episodes in three years, which right. is a lot for three years. You know, your usual um, sitcom uh, season is like 22 to 26 episodes max. And we did 105 in three years. So, um, so when, when our first producer left, they brought on Lloyd Schwartz and Lloyd Schwartz was, uh, the son of Sherwood Schwartz who had created Gilligan's Island and the right. Brady Bunch. Yeah. Lloyd, had, Lloyd himself had been a producer on, um, the Brady Bunch and Lloyd himself, um, had been a producer of, of, uh, the Brady Bunch and Lloyd, uh, had written a show called Gary's Island and on my, and on my, um, sitcom, I played the character of Gary Van Sickle, Lloyd knew that I was a huge television fanatic, you know? Right. And originally it was supposed to be uh, Bob Denver. Uh, Gilligan was supposed to be the guest star. And in the episode, I get clunked on the head and I'm all of a sudden on Gilligan's Island. And, um, and all the other regular characters are playing the characters and I was playing Gilligan. 
How and cool, in the man. end, Bob was supposed to come on and was like to be like, oh my God, you, you're Gilligan. No, you're Gilligan. That sort of thing. <laughs> and um, Bob had like a family emergency that week. So Alan Hale stepped in uh, to, uh, to do it. And I'll never forget it because it's the same week that the space shuttle uh, blew up. Oh, and, oh wow, that, really? Th- yeah, that that touched me pretty deeply uh, because my dad had worked on that space sure. shuttle. So like I said, we were an aerospace yeah. family. Um, but Alan was just such a bright light and like the sweetest guy. And the first thing he said to me is, he called me little buddy, just like oh, he called geez. me again. And he said, little buddy, I wish Bob could see you. He would get such a kick out of you. Oh. And that meant a lot to me, you know, because like I'm doing an imitation of Bob Denver that wasn't, you know, was kind of my take on killing it. Right. And at the end, he like picks me up and spins me around like I was uh, like I was Gilligan in the show. So it's like it's like my two worlds colliding, my fantasy world <laughs> and reality. So, man, but Bob was a great guy. I mean, I mean, uh, Alan was a great guy. Sure. Sweet man. Sweet man. Re- that's refreshing to hear. For a second there, I thought he was going to lean in and say, Damn, I'm sick of playing Skipper. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. In fact, of all that cast, I would say that the one who embraced it more than anyone was Alan Hale Jr. And I'll tell you, his dad was in show business. Alan Hale Sr. was in the original Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Oh, wow. And he would tell me stories about how, um, you know, he said, why would I ever feel bad about the, the, being the Skipper? Because I've I've made a mark on the world that's indelible forever. And in this career and in this life, to choose that in this life, you know, how could you not be happy with that? So he really he really appreciated. He was really grateful for his success. That's incredible. And what a freaking cool experience for you. Uh, Speaking of sitcoms, too, you are also a recurring character on the uh, the monsters today, correct? (laughs) Yes, that was the same company who had done uh, Safe at Home. And that company was called the Arthur Company. And the Arthur Company was very famous in the 80s because they were taking all of these shows and rebooting them, which is what we call it today, right? Reboot. Mm -hmm. They did 240 Robert, FBI, The Untold Stories. Uh, I think they were doing Dragnet. And one of them was The Munsters. And uh, I'll tell you a very interesting story about The Munsters. So I was the first person in The New Munsters that was um, was the first to find the Munsters and my hair stand up on end and run through a wall. <laughs> and oh, I've got to find the, this. And my partner in that scene was um, was uh, Dave Madden, Reuben Kincaid from the Partridge Family. Wow, so these seriously. Two, like, were these two contractors or exterminators? I don't know what we were playing, uh, but we are the ones that find them after they've been like, you know, they've been frozen for 35 years or something. Wow. Um, but I'll tell you, we, we shot that at the, at the, the Hollywood center studios where I love Lucy was originally shot, but then we moved over to universal studio when studios, when uh, the Arthur company made a deal with universal studios. And at the time we were shooting there. Actually, I think we were still on Hollywood center. They were shooting uh, Scrooged, the Bill Murray movie, Mm -hmm. um, across the alley. And uh, I was working on uh, the Munsters on on the stage across the alley. And during a break, I found out that the cinematographer on the movie Scrooge was the cinematographer on uh, on, uh, Summer School. 
So I went to say hello to him and there was Bill and he introduced me to Bill Murray. And uh, so Bill Murray says, so uh, you're working on the monsters, huh? And I go, yeah, because I loved that show when I was a kid. I said, yeah, it was, yeah, I said, it's, it's great. He goes, uh, is it the same? And I'm like, well, not really because it's on video and it's in color. And he goes, ooh. And I said, but <laughs> the good thing is, is that we have the original set. And I said, you should come by and you can see the set. You know, it's got spots, you know, spot under the stairs and has all that. Oh, wow. And sure enough, during like a five minute break from blocking the show, the door opens and there's Bill. And Bill Murray comes in and I'm showing him around and uh, uh, he's like, wow, this is really cool. And I think, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with Bill Murray now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> serious. <laughs> one, of the, one of the production assistants on our show came up because they, he, they thought, oh, this is the perfect entree to talk to Bill Murray because I was talking to him. And he goes right up to Bill Murray and right to Bill Murray goes, this guy, and does a Bill Murray imitation to Bill Murray. And Bill Murray looks at me and he goes, nice meeting you. <laughs> and he walked out. Oh, oh. Scary moth. <laughs> Some <Scared> people. <laughs> Jeez. We're going to jump to a quick commercial break, but when we come back, more with Richard Horvitz. Stick around. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. One thing that you didn't touch on because you jumped ahead to my film career is my musical theater career. Did you see anything? With Oliver. With Oliver, and this to me was like, if you want to be, if I want to be brutally honest, was that in summer school, in Invader Zim, I guess, I guess there's like some benchmarks in my career, like highlights, but but Oliver at the Aquarius Theater in Hollywood was by far one of my most influential jobs and experiences. I it was it was just after Zoot Suit had had closed, and um, it was 1970. Is somewhere in the 70s. I don't remember the year now. 76, 77, maybe somewhere. Anyway, they were going to do the um, the musical Oliver, and it was going to star Shaney Wallace, who played Nancy in the original 1968 Academy Award-winning musical Oliver, so she reprised her role. It was directed by Anna White, who had won the Oscar for... Um, for uh, choreographing the 1968 Academy Award-winning wow. movie. And it starred Dick Sean. And if you know Dick Sean, Dick Sean was in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. He was okay. in, uh, he played LSD in um, The Producers. He was just the funniest, greatest guy in the world. And Stubby K, who had played uh, nicely, nicely in the original movie of Guys and Dolls with Frank Sinatra and Marlon Brando. Wow. So, so I was just like in the gladdest of company. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it. And, and I honestly thought that was going to be my career path. I, I honestly thought that I would move to New York and pursue uh, musical theater. But, you know, when you're in L.A. and you're doing film and TV and commercials and making money, no agent is going to send you to New York for a year where you're only making equity, <laughs> equity fees. And certainly my parents weren't going to uproot my life. And then sure. just life got away from me and I never got to New York. I still do theater to this day. I still do it. 
Awesome. I was going to ask that. Well, so what is it about uh, theater then that is uh, so much more enjoyable than the other avenues in the enter- entertainment industry for you? I love, well, first of all, just from the, the, like the perspective of stage in itself, I love the, the magic that can be created with like imagination on stage. The things oh, they can yeah. do with sets and psychs and lighting and turntables and uh, just it's just like it's just it's like it's like to me it's like uh, playing in Willy Wonka land you know it's like sure. it's the candy factory but from the work point of view I like the the process of of delving into a story working with other actors and I love the the instant uh, satisfaction of being in front of a live audience I just love the live audience aspect of things um, and you know when you do voiceover or film or television it it you reap the benefits, you know, financially and, you know, fame wise, but you never really are interacting with the audience. Sure. So that's right. why I do a lot of conventions. So, you know, you get to see what people like. Sure. That makes sense though. Being yeah. able to hear the audience's uh, applauding, laughter, et cetera, gasps. Yeah, it's it's, it's got to be uh, like a drug. And, and the thing is, is that I'm, I'm what, I'm what I refer to as animated by nature, meaning I, I, Anything you put me in, you're going to think of me as a character, even if it's, you know, a superhero show or something. Right. Because I'm animated by nature. It's my natural personality. You know, Jim Carrey is animated by nature. Robin Williams was animated by nature. If any of them were starting out today, they would say, oh, no, they're too over the top. But in musical theater, you can rarely be too over the top. So (laughs) it's the perfect place for me. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect place for me. Very cool. I have to look up some stuff online. Are any of these things online that we can watch? Well, you could probably find a Munsters Today clip. You, well, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm referring more to like your theater work. Oh, you know, not really because they're not really allowed to film and put it on YouTube by Echo. I see. So it's, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any of my theater work, uh, mm. which is a shame because um, uh, I really am proud of a lot of, um, a lot of the theater I've done. Yeah. Why that's the other thing that I love about it. It's like it's all in the moment. It's there, yeah, and it's yeah. gone, and all that's left is memory. So, Okay, so it's, what, the late 80s, early 90s that your voiceover career starts. What was it that, uh, you know, you're already doing commercials, you're, you know, doing television shows, movies, theater. How did you then uh, go into the world of voiceover? It, it's it's a good question, and the, and the answer is, is not, is not <laughs> that exciting a story, but... What happened was after summer school was released, there was a writer's guild strike in 1988. And that just like crippled the industry. Uh, mm. People, you know, and, and by the time we got back from that, that strike, the business was never the same again. Um, and so I was hurting for money and work at that point. You know, I had a house and cars and all sorts of things that I had to pay for. And the work wasn't coming like it did prior to the strike. You know, prior to the strike, you know, a working actor like me could, could, you know, count on, you know, a guest star on a TV spot, you know, maybe a month, maybe every couple months. And that right. was enough to sustain you. Um, but that went away after the strike because all of a sudden all the celebrities started doing the guest star, the guest star parts. Oh. Oh. Casting. Um, and then when reality TV came in, everybody who had like, a, you know, acting careers we're really in trouble because once the once the studios and the networks figured out, hey, we don't have to pay these people and it would be cheap to do these shows and we get just as much ratings and viewership. So the whole business was changing 
and I needed to work and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had a friend, uh, he's still my friend, Michael J. Cutt, who was on Safe at Home with me. He and I were in his backyard one day just tossing a football and he said, you know, you should do voiceover. You've got like an animated voice. You know, our agent, because we shared a commercial agent, they share an office with um, a voiceover agent named Sandy Schnarr. Why don't you ask them about that? What could it hurt? And so um, I said to my commercial agent, uh, Susan Nathy, CPC and Associates, my friend Wendy, who is still my friend and my agent, I said, uh, I want to do voiceover. They go, well, we're not, real, we're not like associated with Sandy, but we are obviously close. Why don't you let us set it up? And so I went over to meet Sandy, like literally across the office. And Sandy <laughs> said, well, you know, we, uh, we really don't have anyone with your sound. Um, you need to get a demo reel. So I said, okay, I went and I got a demo reel. And back then it was literally a demo reel. It was like real to real. And uh, I gave it to her and she said, um, great. And my first month there, this is how naive I was about voiceover. This is how naive I was about voiceover. Because, you know, growing up, Speed Racer was Speed Racer. I didn't think about, you know, Peter Fernandez as the voice. Right, right. exactly. Um so I really knew nothing about voiceover or that end of the in industry. So my first month there, I booked three radio spots. Okay, three radio spots that first month. And my very first job was in a car commercial. May have even been another Chevy commercial. Where all I say is, bye, Dad. And I go to Sandy. <laughs> I have to go, That's all I say is, bye, Dad. And I, I can't believe it. That's all, don't they know who I think I am? And uh, <laughs> yeah, she said you get paid the same as the guy that has the 40 lines as the announcer. Wow. I'm like, oh, no. okay. So, but this is the best part of this story is that at the time when you booked a, a radio spot, the, the payment was $175 per spot per cycle. Cycle was 13 weeks. So you, they paid you $175 for that one commercial and they had it for 13 weeks. And if they ran it again, they had to pay you another 175, et cetera. And, um, and plus 10%. So you got your agent's fee in that. And so I did three of these and I, and I literally sat there thinking at the first job, wow, if I do five of these a day, five days a week, I could easily clear five grand a week. And that would put me back on, right? I had no idea that it was just as competitive. Right. <laughs> That's the last time I worked that year. Those no kidding. And yeah. That was the last time that year I booked any voiceover work, but then, um, I, you know, I continued to eke out a living in voiceover and commercial and radios, radio commercials for a lot of products. Uh, but then I finally get my first voiceover gig and it was, it was a one, one off shot on a, on a show called, I think the legend or the adventures of Prince Valiant. And it starred Robbie Benson and I think Charlie Adler was in it. Rob Paulson. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, it was like, you know, and I'll be brutally honest. People always say, who did you idolize in voiceover? I said, I didn't know anyone in voiceover. <laughs> so, you know, well, what about Frank Welker? Great. I love Scooby-Doo. I mean, right. that's, you know, I didn't even know it was Frank Welker did that. You know, it's like, of course I knew Mel Blanc. Everyone knew Mel Blanc. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, sure. Animation. And I certainly knew June Foray's work because I grew up on it, but I didn't really, it wasn't like, oh my God, I just, it wasn't. Right. And now I get why people are not like that with me. But, um, <laughs> but, when I went to do this thing, it was the weirdest thing because I, I played a ship's mate on a, on this pirate 
Dowie. And uh, Charlie was in the room, and I think Rob was in, and they're all standing at their microphone. And they're all like, ah, ah, you know, like moving as a recording. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like thinking, wow, that is weird. That, that is wildly weird. And the thing is, is that after that session, I never sat down to record again, and I'm constantly moving. But so I get my I have one line or two lines in my first animated gig, and it's something like, Captain, uh, the ships of uh, the, the decks have all been swapped, Captain. Something to that effect, right? So I do it, and the room breaks up laughing, and I'm thinking, wow. I have found my ugly ducklings. This is where I belong. <laughs> and um, the uh, director comes over the talk back and says, I didn't realize we hired Woody Allen to play a ship's mate. Oh. And I was devastated, right? I was devastated. Yeah, I would imagine. I went, okay. All right. It's on. So um, after that, <clears throat> I um, started doing Power Rangers which I don't really count among the animated stuff. But then Angry Beavers came along uh, shortly thereafter. And once I hit Angry Beavers, I, I found my home and that was where I wanted to do. My, my radio career kind of took a back seat to animation, but that was okay because I was getting a script every week and I was right. getting to meet amazing people every week. Michael York, Sheena Easton, Eric Idle, uh, Artie Johnson, uh, Patrick Stewart. The list goes on and wow. on of everyone that I got to work with on those shows. Now, we, we've got to back up just a scotch. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> Mr. Alpha 5. We've got to touch on that. That's that's probably, I can't speak for these guys, but that's probably how I know you best. Yeah. Uh, well, so can you talk you a little bit about that? You want to hear the story of that one, do you? I definitely do. I think <laughs> we all do. that mm. story, eh? <laughs> well, I will tell you that story. I was broke. I was broke. I told you it was during the Writers Guild strike and everything, and this was 94 now, I guess. 93, 94. I've lost track of that time. But I needed money. And um, I uh, had a friend who was working in an offline edit bay in Burbank, California. And he calls me up one night at like 9 o'clock at night. It's like 9 o'clock at night. He goes, hey, I'm in the offline bay. Um, and I'm editing this really stupid show that this guy just bought for 10 million bucks from Japan. And it's not going anywhere, but they need a temp track for a robot. And they'll pay you like 50 bucks. It'll take you five minutes. <clears throat> so I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I um, jumped in the car, went to the offline edit bay, and uh, I looked at the screen and they put me in the booth, and uh, I looked at it, and I just went, Sordon, there's trouble in Angel Grove. And um, Chaim Savan was the man sitting on this, the couch, stands up and says, yes, he will be our Alpha 5. He, we do not have to process his voice. It'll save time and money. That's how I got it. And it was just yeah. that easy. That easy. Oh man! So there was no like an actual like uh, like formal audition. audition you just were going in to do something you thought for was like most, quick. One for most of the other characters, there were formal auditions, and most of them had been working for Saban or any of the other kind of dubbing houses for a long time. And I think maybe they kind of resented me because I didn't. But it just so happened that they needed it in that moment and that's Haim Saban and if Haim likes it no one's going to say no Haim we're right. going to recast it you know so so sure. timing timing 
Here's a little trivia note about Power Rangers. Myself and David Yost, the Blue Rangers, are the only two original Mighty Morphin uh, characters that appear in every episode. Because by the time that that series ended and they went into Turbo, all the Rangers with the except, yeah, even Tommy wasn't even. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it had to have been a little bit crazy then, you know, where you were just being asked to come in to do this one-off thing for 50 bucks to then not only have Haim right there say, you've got the job, and then to see this thing blow up to be as big as it got. It had to be uh, incredible. It was incredible, but not lucrative. And that was, I think, the, the most, I think really? that's what most of our resentment was, yeah, is that they didn't pay. They didn't pay. Uh, that's why Rangers were replaced. And that's oh. why Boys Be More Place. Um, in fact, when we asked for a nominal fee for the movie, the first movie, they fired all of us and said, "No, we're not going to pay you that." And so they recast us. And when the movie came, the movie was shot and they did the test screening, all the kids said, "That's not the voices." And then they came back to us and rehired us. And oh. I should have asked for double what I had asked for the first time, but I didn't because I'm a man of my word. And so, sure. Um, so I did it, uh, but nobody got rich on the Power Rangers except Saban. So that's Jeez. unfortunate. That is that's really crappy. I always wondered, like, why why do characters keep dropping off <laughs> like flies? Yeah. Like, where are they going? That makes sense. You had mentioned uh, the Angry Beavers, and uh, <laughs> you know that was a huge. I loved Angry Beavers growing up. Thank you. Believe it or not. Um, Last Wednesday or something was the 25th anniversary. No of, kidding! Wow. Of, uh, of Angry Beavers, yeah. So we're coming up on a lot of anniversaries. It's the 35th anniversary of Summer School. It's the 25th anniversary of the Angry Beavers. <laughs> it's the 30th anniversary of the Power Rangers, which is weird. Wow, yes. you're right. Yeah, and you've got a lot of celebrating to do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I just don't think I can't figure out how I got how it, how it went by so fast. Keeping busy, I would imagine. Keeping busy, yeah. <laughs> keeping busy, you move on, you keep moving on. I have a tendency to get um, really attached to the projects I'm on. Sure. So a lot of um, a lot of voice actors will come in, they'll do their job, and they'll just move on to the next job, and that's great too. But I, I like to be involved in the whole process. Um, I like to be involved. I like to know the crew. I like to be, you know, I like to be friends with the creator and the casting people because it's like a family. And, right. you know, anybody else that goes to work, they get to see their their friends, you know, every day at the office. But right. this is my office for that time. So, I, you know, I like to be involved with it more than just being just the voice, you know. It's just important to me. Of course. I mean, those characters, especially after you've done them for a while, become an extension of oneself, right? I mean, yeah. I don't see how the voice actor who doesn't get attached to the, their characters, I just don't see how they don't. You know, I get your yeah. angle a lot more. You know... One of the things that I chose not to do, because one, I'm not good at it, and two, I don't enjoy it, is voice matching. Is um, There are people that are amazing at it. Jim Cummings, obviously, is Winnie the Pooh in Tinder mm -hmm. 2. Bill Farmer as Goofy. Uh, and, you know, Bob Bergen as, um, as Porky Pig. Oh, and yeah. Tweety Bird. And Eric Bauza, who does all the Looney Tune voices now, like Bugs Bunny. And, and Billy West is good at it, too. I don't enjoy doing it. And it was based on an experience that I had um, where um, I was hired to do the temp tracks, all the temp tracks for John Leguizamo in Ice Age. And Sidney Sidney 
And so um, <laughs> after I auditioned this thing, you would have thought that I was the foremost uh, John Leguizamo <laughs> impersonator. Because <laughs> um, they just, oh my God, he's amazing. He's great. And so I go to do the job and there I am at Warner Brothers on the stage with this, you know, was that Warner Brothers? Yeah, it was at Warner Brothers, even though I think it was a 20th Century Fox release. But anyway, it was a big screen and the animatic was there. And from Q1, that doesn't sound like John. Listen again. That's not how John does it. Listen again. Four oh. hours. Oh, ouch. Yeah. And I walked out of there and I called my agent. I said, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do voice matching. I don't want to do sound alikes. There's other people that do it really well. I, I only want to create characters that someday someone will have to voice match me <laughs> when I've shed this mortal coil. Um, so I, I don't want to do it. I just, I'm because, because what happens is it makes it really hard to play pretend for me anyway, if my want as I'm playing is to just sound like the other person, then right. the story isn't informed. The words don't come through with meaning because what I'm thinking about is trying to sound like it. Right. And that's what Bob, Bob Bergen always says is that uh, anybody can do Porky Pig. But yeah, but yeah, that's all folks. Anybody can do Porky Pig. But can you do Porky Pig doing Shakespeare? Can you do Porky Pig in love? Can you do Porky Pig angry? Those are the mm. things that are what people don't realize for sound alike. So you have to be able to not only capture the, the voice, but the acting essence, you know? Right. We're going to stop the conversation right here to take a quick commercial break, but stick around when we come back more with Richard Horvitz. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. So, touching on Invader Zim, like, Billy West did the uh, the pilot for that, played Zim in the pilot, and then you, you know, took on the role once the series got picked up. How did you kind of, taking that mentality, kind of balance that of not being the, the Billy West version of Invader Zim and making well, it, it was, your own? Yeah, well, it was really easy for me, I'll tell you why, because I was, I was supposed to be Zim before Billy, so <laughs> oh, <okay>. this is... <laughs> This is the this is the story that never really gets around, no matter how much I tell it. But I'll tell it again. It's not your fault. Billy is one of my dearest friends in the world, and Billy and I have traveled to Australia together. I, I love Billy. We're close. But what happened was when they first were doing this, they were doing um, they first wanted Mark Hamill, okay. and then Joan and Vasquez says no, that you know he's too much the Joker, so. That's out. Sure. And then they came to me and Jonan said, I want Richard for the show. But at the time, the executive producer of this show was also executive producing Angry Beavers because I was still doing Angry Beavers. Okay. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't think we want Richard. I, you know, it's too close to Daggett, which it's not, but it, it's too close. And, um, I, you know, there'll be other things for him. I was devastated because I really wanted to do it. I liked the story. And when I first auditioned for it, I thought I was supposed to audition for the role of Dib because I thought I was more right for Dib. But Jonan said, no, I want Zim. So then they went to Billy 
But the problem was, as Jonan said, but Billy was already in too many shows. He was already on, um, he was already uh, um, doing uh, Doug. Oh, and, yeah. And yeah. Futurama was, you know, just starting. And he was too recognizable. Sure. And Jonan said he wanted a voice that was, was the voice naturally, not someone putting on a voice. Okay. And uh, then Angry Beavers ended before the pilot was released. And Jonan came to me and he goes, wait a minute. He goes, you're not doing Angry Beavers anymore. Come in here. And we went into the booth and I, I dubbed over all of Billy's stuff. Well, most of Billy's stuff. Enough of it to send in New York and say, this is who we want. New York said, yes. And that's how I got it. Now, they'll, they'll often say, you know, the never before aired uh, Invader Zim pilot starring Billy West. But guess what? It's just because I don't get a credit on it because I dubbed over it. But if you listen to it, it starts out as my voice on some lines and it ends in Billy's voice. Seriously. Or it starts with Billy's voice or it ends in my voice. So I'm all over it. But okay. it's only Billy that gets credit on it. Oh. Yeah. Pass sorry. that around. That's yeah. We'll get the word no out. Need yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, no need to be sorry. No, no need to be sorry. Count on us. It's just, it's just this is this. And, and as, as Jonan said, all those other people were great. He, they all brought something to it special. You know, um, certainly Mark brought something special to it. And Billy definitely brought Billy to it. But I was just it when I came in. And that's, you know, how casting right. goes. You know, I did a show called Squirrel Boy. It's often forgotten. But Squirrel Boy was a fun show with uh, Pamela Adlon and Kurtwood Smith. And uh, oh, wow. Billy was on that one. And uh, it came down to, between me and Rob Paulson. And then I got it. And I did the first four episodes. Then they replaced me with Rob. But then they replaced Rob and brought me back. So jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> People can't make up their mind. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's the problem. And that's oh. what I try to tell everyone that I, that I teach voice acting. I say, just because you don't book the job doesn't mean you didn't get the part. And that's Just, where I was going to start directing attention to next. I know, I'm sorry, we're running. Uh, hmm. Don't want to keep you any longer than we had no, said. No, take but your time. Take your time. You Again, you just said you teach uh, voiceover, coaching, classes, uh, help with demo reels. What was it that uh, made you decide you wanted to start teaching people? Because I had come to a place in my career where um, I was um, – there's, I, I, I refer to this, this statement that Sean Penn made. It was called, you're, you're either an impressor or an expressor. Neither is right, neither is wrong. You just have to know which one you are and focus your career towards that. Right. Well, I had started as an impressor. A lot of performers are impressors. They're the ta-da's, laugh at me, like me, love me. You know? And that, that's a, it's hard to stay an impressor for a long time because that means you have to constantly be impressing. And when you're not... You're not getting any validation. It was detrimental to my well-being psychologically. And so at, at this point, a friend of mine introduced me to uh, a, a woman by the name of Diana Castle who taught something called the imagined life. That's what it's called today. And um, she taught me how to go from being an impressor to an expressor based in story where the story was more important than myself. And my career has been kind of a testament to that because you could argue that Zim sounds like Billy, sounds like Moxie, sounds like all, a lot of my characters. But my story's changed because I got out of the way of the story uh, personally and just let the words come through. But the words had to be informed. And that's nice what thing. I learned. And so once I learned that, I said, I really, want to, I really want to help people understand that in this business. 
because um, what I call my teaching is I call it the art of playing pretend. Right. Um, and um, the art of playing pretend is what we did as kids. But we forget that we've, because we make it because we spend so much time uh, auditioning that it begins to feel like our job is to book the job. But that's not our job. Our job is to play pretend and play pretend fully. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And along those notes, I do want to just thank you because my son got into Skylanders at a younger age, like when it was first starting out and wanted me to kind of sit down and watch it with him uh, when the yeah. Netflix series picked up. And the minute I heard you as chaos, I'm like, all right, I'm all right, that's Zim. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you right liked there. it. That, that, you know, streaming is a, is a bird of a different, uh, is a horse of a different color in that um, they want you to pitch the first three seasons. Because wow. they've discovered that if you if someone comes to a streaming a show that they have not been watching, mm-hmm. if they have to binge more than three seasons, they won't. All and right. so, if you wonder why a lot of shows end after three seasons, Skyland is one one of them. That's, that's why. why. So yeah, that and the the <clears throat> seasons have less episodes now because they don't want them to sit and watch twenty three episodes. <laughs> Where you know, you know if it's the right show, I'll sit and binge hours of yeah. it. But. Uh, yeah. I will too. And I think that's, that's the sad part about what we've been inundated with, with so much story. Cause I'll tell you, Oh yeah. when I was growing up, I grew up with the Brady kids each year. I couldn't wait to see them come back and see what they look like now, how old are, how old they had gotten with the new, right. with the new changes were being. But now we watch an entire, uh, you know, season in a sitting. Yeah. But back then two things, Collectively, we were all watching the same thing. Right. We were all watching the same thing. So we were all talking about the same shows. Now, if I had a dime for every time someone said, oh, you've got to watch this show, or you've got to watch this show. You yeah. know? And, and I don't even remember the shows that I liked and I was watching because they you know, they go away for a couple of years and come back and then you sure. can binge the whole thing. Um, but um, yeah, I think that that's, I think that collectively we're just inundated with, with so, you know, I think there's some things that are great and some things that are, I, I would like to go back to. And that is one of them. And, and if you wanted to watch a rerun, you had to wait till the summer. And if you missed it in the summer, yeah. you're, you're out of luck. You're out of luck. You were out of luck. So um, I, I like those days. Um, yeah, but, same here. I forgot but, about summer reruns. <laughs> oh, yeah. But at the same time, the things that happened to TV that they could only do on HBO, like The Sopranos or AMC with Mad Men or Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, we would never have seen that in our day. Right, yeah. Nothing like that. I mean, there. I remember the very first time the word the B word was used on TV. There's a there's a trivia note for you. When is the first time someone said the B word? on tv oh man um i think i, would I might guess, know it in the back of my head but i can't even think of what it is i'm just gonna guess because i, I feel like i remember hearing that word on television in the late 90s so i would say early to mid 90s so it was probably mid to late 80s oh I wow believe. really and it was alan alda on mash when he called someone a son of a beep really and, wow. yeah and that was the that was the first time <gasps> wow <laughs> it must not have been used too often after that maybe it was just uh maybe people were i mean i don't see like the whole industry being like alan alda said it let's go let's go let's do it 
When I was a kid, <clears throat> uh, my sister and I would listen to Neil Diamond's Hot August Night over and over again just because we liked the part where you would go, hot damn, hot damn, <laughs> because we got to say damn. <laughs> Compare that to what is said in songs today it's like, oh my what? god yeah you know and i'm not like i'm not like the old man on the on, you know at the corner going hey you kids get off the car link but <laughs> it, i mean i think that like uh we've run amok with entertainment although i do binge the karate kid i love hey, it there oh, you yeah. go oh, yeah. uh, wait it's not karate kid it's what is cobra it's kai. Uh, cobra kai, kai. yeah love cobra kai <laughs> love it and first of all I grew up in the San Fernando Valley and I didn't know so many people knew karate or that so many karate fights break out everywhere you go. Who knew Seriously. that? It, was, it wasn't just happening on the street corners. Yeah. And also, I didn't know that you could take a, a, a woman who was a gymnast star who had never done karate and put her in a, in a championship bout. <laughs> I didn't realize you could learn it that fast. But now you do know. Yeah. Thank now you, Cobra know. Kai. You know? Thank you, Cobra Kai. <laughs> Education and entertainment. I love that show because I'm a huge fan of Billy Zabka, who played who plays um, Johnny. Uh, yeah, Johnny. Yeah. Because he there because now there's redemption, and that's that's there's redemption in him. There's a backstory to him that you know. There's just that one little seed where he goes, Sensei, I can't do it. Get in there and sweep the lake. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It just so yeah just makes like, him a lot more uh, more sympathetic, more relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not just simply a villain like he was in just that first bully. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. He always thought he was. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I had to. Are you are you caught up on the series and been watching it? Yes. Yeah, I had to go back and watch. I think it was Karate Kid three or four with that guy because I don't I never saw Silver. that one. Silver. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was really the shortest, least thought out. Of all those movies. <laughs> That's it? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I have to rewatch that one. Yeah, I don't that remember one I don't anything remember much. about it. I just remember him it's being It's the shortest in. least thought out of all of them. Was it, was it so like the Hillary Swank one? The next Karate Kid was more thought out than this one? I don't know. I stopped when I, I heard Hillary Swank. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, I'm out. Yeah, no. Nope. Fair no, point. Nope. Fair point. But you know, the, the thing you get is the reason you have that same reaction is because you have uh, <clears throat> the guy who did Rocky doing Karate Kid, and so Avildsen, right? It was it was amazing. So yeah, how cool, man! I could sit here. I know we all could, and just talk TV with you all day. But I don't want to eat up TV. <laughs> Isn't it so much fun? <laughs> yeah. What are you currently watching? Oh, Moon Knight on uh, Moon Disney Knight, Plus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. Did you watch uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Oh, yes. yes. Yep. I loved it. It was so much it. fun, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And in the ending made me cry. I thought yeah. it was like, yeah, wow, that was a very touching ending. Um, Mandalorian, I'm not going back to. I just, uh, I liked it. But people say the whole point is that he has his mask on. But it drives me nuts that he wears that. <laughs> <laughs> the entire thing. Take the helmet off. That's understandable. <laughs> I, you know, even, I didn't think I was going to like Loki at all. Uh, yes. And it turned out to be one of my favorites. Yeah. See, I, I checked out on Loki. I, I got through the first few. Oh, uh, my favorite was WandaVision. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. that oh, one was awesome. Obviously, I love WandaVision because it's all the TV sets that I get sure, to watch. Sure, that's, that's the brainy butt. And the thing was is that it wasn't, but they did such a good job making you believe that it was like yeah. the, the actual mm-hmm. rape, right? Like the Dick um, Van Dyke set, and uh, uh, what yeah. else was there? I mean, I know the the There's Brady's, brain the Brady's. Oh, there, there was, was another one uh, that was. Uh, they did the one from the the nineties. They did Bewitched. That's what yeah. it was. Bewitched. Yeah. Yeah. That's Bewitched. what I was trying yeah. to think of. Yes, that was a good little show. I missed that one. I wish. The, well, I um, guess they did re- try to remake it with Will Ferrell, right? Like uh, oh, the movie, yeah, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. I'm I'm good friends with um with um uh. As my mind goes out the window, uh, <laughs> with Aaron who played um, Tabitha on the Oh on wow! Yeah, yeah. What's she uh, do these days? She's still acting. She's Is she? Still acting. She? she does. Yeah, she's she's involved in all sorts of businesses. She's super successful. Yeah, wow. she's she's got. Yeah, I'm trying to think of um, what. Oh, so I'm a Marvel guy, like far beyond a DC guy. Except oh, same up, here. I, I, I love Batman growing up and I love Superman. But when it comes to movies, I'm like a Marvel guy through and through. It's particularly, I love the X-Men series. I love the, the message mm-hmm. of X-Men. Yeah. Um, and I just love those movies. But like all of them, by number three, they they fall apart. Yes. Right? So badly, Like too. suddenly we're on a bridge and we're bending the bridge up because <laughs> we're back, you know, it's like... Oh... Hated, hated, and we—I hated the new uh, Star Wars. Uh, oh, the oh. the Disney films, you mean, like the main films? As my friend Ricky Simons, who played Gurr, said, uh, the very first one, where <laughs> I'm going to give you all my criticism about the very first one, the J.J. Abrams one. Bring right? it on. One, as Ricky said, it's about a bus that gets stranded in space. Two. They change the terms of the force. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. They make it like this kid who can move the broom is born with the force. Yeah. You have to learn the forces around all of us. You have to learn how to use the force. And it's not an easy thing to learn. They just took so many liberties, didn't they? So many liberties. Oh, that's not even the worst. The The next one is, I'm sorry. Princess Leia flying through space. Oh my God. That was so far What is that? That, I can tell you what that is. That's some bullshit. Yeah. And even as a kid, I'm thinking to myself, wait, Luke is holding on to the end of a thing in space. Why even the and then he and then he can just drop into the Millennium, Millennium Falcon. He wouldn't go right. or float away. Superman. Float away somewhere. Uh, but but on this one, oh the other God. thing is, is if you can see where the other person is using the force and then snatch their necklace when they're not even on the same planet. Wouldn't Darth Vader have known how to find the (laughs) rebels? Yeah. Yeah. Or any Jedi that survived in the meantime, like there's no one left. Yeah. And the other thing is, is they, it became so disnified where all of a sudden in the dirt, they find the piece they need to look, you know, that stupid, why do we have some like (laughs) item, like some, like some treasure box key all of a sudden that was just lying around in the dirt. You're right. <laughs> then I'm not done. Oh, good. We don't I'm need to see. Yeah. We do not need to see Han Solo run. <laughs> <laughs> and also, 
Did nobody see the Empire rebuilding after everything you guys went through? No kidding, especially when it was a whole damn planet that they were yeah. building into. Yeah, and the other thing is, how disrespectful is it to just end the Han Solo character by pushing him over the railing? Yeah. yeah that that was, was so disrespectful. Not done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Take your time. Loving it. The other one is, is uh, they say, look for the man with the lilac in the casino. The man with the lilac in the casino had nothing to do with anything. He had no lines. It it didn't pay off. How about this? Luke Skywalker spends his entire hero's journey turning his father from the dark side to the light again. But because he's worried about his nephew, he's going to try to kill his nephew. In his sleep. <laughs> In his sleep. Wow. Yeah. And speaking of Darth Vader, my other big problem is this. Uh, no, father, I will not leave you. And at the end, everyone's happy. Luke has succeeded. Um, I'm sorry. Did anyone forget the part where... Uh, where Darth Vader killed younglings. He like massacred, he massacred all of the future Jedis. He single-handedly almost ended the Jedis. I love the memes. But okay. I love the memes with that one where he becomes a force ghost and all the like little kids are just like, yeah, we're about to, yeah. Oh, oh man! Yeah. And like in Force Awakens, when uh, like the rebels are flying into what was what they call that thing? Star was it Star, Star Killer, Killer base? Yeah. yeah. And it's like again, it's the size of a damn planet. Yes. And they fly straight to this one right. isolated area where they just right. hammer it with all you got, and that yeah. should do it. <laughs> you know? Right yeah, that should go. do it. That's well, presumptuous. But the, here's the other thing about that first movie: at the end of every Star Wars original, the original trilogy, there was some hope. They succeeded at something in right, each yeah. one. In this first one, everything was a failure. Everything yeah. flopped. <laughs> everything. And why is Luke Skywalker suddenly a grumpy old hermit on <laughs> that a planet? Was such a letdown. Oh, because, yeah. you know, though that first one had its problems, but when they when it ended with that saber in his hand. I mean, you were just at the edge of your seat for like two years. Yeah. Like, what's yeah. he going to say? What's he going to do? That's and right. the second he threw it over his shoulder, I, yeah. I, I've i said this on the show before. I got audibly upset in the theater. Like, what yes. the hell is going yeah, on? what like, the hell is going on here? Yeah. He's like, that hey, quick. I'm Luke Skywalker. Let me drink out of this this beast nipple. Yeah. <laughs> what was that for? <laughs> 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 You're a Jedi. I mean. Yeah. Well. Why do you have to be secluded because you're afraid you might kill your nephew in his sleep? Right. Uh, Why? I mean, it, nothing It just makes goes sense. against everything that the lore of Luke Skywalker it is supposed to be. It goes against the entire canon. Yeah. I hated it, hated it, hated it. <laughs> it's unfortunate because it, it's just what it is now. I can yeah, never see yeah. Disney being like, oh, you know, we're going to redo those for you. We're going to It's not going to happen. <laughs> not like, uh, not like uh, Coppola redoing uh, Godfather 3. <laughs> no. Which I hope he does. I hope he does soon. Because boy, talk about it's always number three. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rocky one, Rocky two, Rocky three. Now, Rocky three, I will give you some credit for because you got Mr. T. Oh yeah. Way. Oh yeah. yeah. But the one where he fights the Russian and they're all and the Russians are chanting Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. <laughs> yeah, right. He's sure. Like, 
run it running in the snow, like training on all this, yeah. you know, like barn yeah. equipment. <laughs> that's that's how they pitch every one of them. All we need to know is what the training montage is going to be. Yep. <laughs> that's all. What are you do this okay, one? who's pegged for the song? <laughs> yeah, okay, the first one we had to run up the steps. I know. And the second one, we'll catch a chicken. Good, we'll catch a chicken. <laughs> the third, we'll run on a beach. We'll beat. We'll beat him. Was it the third one that there was the robot that like Rocky yes. had gotten yes. for uh, yes, Adrian right, or something? Yeah. Happy birthday, Polly. What, or yes. Polly, excuse me. Like, holy hell. Like <laughs> It was so 80s. <laughs> it was so 80s. Kids are into yeah. robots in space, yeah. right? Let's and, make this boxing Adrian, movie. Adrian's that wearing that white fur. Oh, <laughs> He's yeah. like, I... <laughs> Uh, how did this go so freaking wrong? Yeah, get out of here with that. Yeah, we get out of here. <laughs> What's those, <laughs> those first four were tolerable, but when you get to the fifth one where he's just like totally brain damaged, yeah, and just, oh, I could not do the fifth one. And why does he kill everyone off? Because they don't want to be in his movie. They kill off Adrian, they kill off Mickey, they kill, mm-hmm. off, kill off Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers, who grew on me in The Mandalorian. Oh yeah, yes. he was yeah. he was yeah. cool. Yeah. I, know, every time I see him though, I just see him in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, chubs, chubs. <laughs> but you know, you know the one who I thought was like, and it's really hard to do, and you know it goes against my grain. But you know who I thought was over the top in The Mandalorian was Amy Sedaris. Yes. Oh every my god, back, absolutely, it's like, yeah. Mm, I've heard so that. many people go on and on about her performance, and I just thought, my god, she was far too eccentric. And yeah. like the look they gave her, she didn't look like she had been tattered by sand day in and day out no, on no, this desert no, planet at, at all. all. No, I didn't care for her. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I liked, uh, I, I'm thinking of myself, Groku has to be of the, of the uh, Yoda lineage, right? I guess. I mean, I guess fan theory is that he's a clone of Yoda of some kind. Okay. All right. Okay. Who knows if that will come to fruition, but um, are you you excited about Obi-Wan coming out, the series? Probably not. (laughs) I think I know everything I need to know about (laughs) Obi-Wan. I have a a running joke with uh, James Arnold Taylor because I'll I'll do like, uh, I'll do, um, I'll do Obi-Wan. For him, where I'll be like, we were like brothers, Anakin. We took baths together. We rode. We rode. We. You wore my clothes. I lent you my jacket. Right. So it's over. It's over. It's over, Anakin. I've got the higher ground. But I said to James Earl Taylor, my problem with that whole thing is too, they are on a planet that is as hot as the sun. Yeah. And they're not hot at all. Nope. They're yeah. all like, ooh, ooh, it is hot. How are they not burning up? Especially in those big things like outfits. leather yeah. robes yeah. and shit. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, somebody's got to be passing out like heat Hovering exhaustion. Right and... over lakes of magma. Yeah, they're not even yeah, just next to it. Ma- they're like yeah, in the shit. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, my eyebrows get singed if I get too close to a barbecue. How do I not get singed by all this lava? But then Anakin's two inches from the, the lava itself, and then he catches fire. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, two then words. Then he catches fire, right. <laughs> two words for you. The Force. Oh, yeah. The Force. That's there how. Dark side. <laughs> yeah. When in doubt, J.J. Abrams, say it's the Force. <laughs> It oh, evolves man. over thirty year time frame for the oh, new movies. My God. That's why it's so different now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look forward to a lot of shows coming out. Um 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, currently I'm, I just listened to the podcast, the thing about Pam, which is now a TV series with, uh, or was a TV uh, mini series with uh, Renee Zellweger. Which I've was, never even heard I of like that. The podcast. that yeah. It's a, thing, it's a true story. It's, it's like, you know, it's Keith Morrison that's doing the podcast. It was like, but was she? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I love, uh, I love Bill Hader's imitation. Of, he's uh, awesome of, yeah. yeah except he did alpha five in the power rangers movie yep all right <laughs> and as i understand it the only nod he gave to my catchphrase that i came up with was hi yeah yeah all disgruntled <laughs> yeah. Yeah. seriously that was that's that was uh improv by you the the i i i yeah nice. they needed the thing was was that it was women in the alpha suit um, sure. Right, Romy and another Romy, and Alpha has hips. If you see the hips, so <laughs> yeah. that when Romy would scoot or whoever was in the suit, you would see the hips like shaking because you could tell it was a woman. So we had to come up with something to cover those moves. And so, like at first, I said, "Well, it looks like Charo, so maybe it should be like." But I will tell you uh, something that didn't make it into the show, which I wish had. Uh, if you remember the episode where uh, Lord Zed and Rita get married. Yes. Yeah. They destroy the command center and they turn Alpha evil. They put that disc in Alpha's back. Yeah. And Alpha is evil in that episode, which I love. And uh, the first time you see Alpha in the command center, he like presents himself out of the dark like he's really evil. And I wanted so badly. We actually did loop this. I walk out and I go, I'll be your Huckleberry. And uh, I really, really wanted it to be I'll Be Your Huckleberry because it's like one of my favorite mo- moments in a movie. Um, and uh, they said, okay, but then they, they said, no, we can't do it. It's copywritten. So. Oh, is it really? Yeah. So. Wow. How cool, though. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, my God. Been. I just want to, I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> that might be a sound bit now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Richard, man, thank you so much My for pleasure. taking Thanks this for time me. to be here. I want to encourage our listeners to go to richardhorvitz.com, uh, check out uh, your story, uh, your demo reel. But there's also a link at the top of the page that'll take you over to those voiceover, uh, those voice classes, classes and coaching sure. and stuff. Great. Is there another avenue for people to get there? Yeah, or you no? can. Uh, yeah, you can just go via uh, Gmail to Richard Horvitz Classes, plural, at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on uh, um, on Instagram, and I believe my what is my Instagram? <laughs> That's a good question. Ooh, it's Horvitz I VO, it's, I think. Yeah, Richard Horvitz VO. Yeah, Richard Horvitz VO, and Twitter is just Richard Horvitz. So wonderful. So now, there you go, Richard. Thank right, you so much. Have a wonderful thank night. Thank you thank so you. much. You too. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. All right, and once again, that was our conversation with Richard Horvitz. Damn, that was fun. <laughs> My face still hurts from laughing yeah, so much. Yeah. I'm smiling at the same time. I would love to talk endlessly 
about Star Wars with him. Or just yeah. anything. Yeah. I mean... Anything, but boy, oh boy. I mean, was he not only nailing things I already was thinking about Star Wars, <laughs> but then kind of opened my mind to things I hadn't thought about. Yeah. There was a yeah. lot of what? stuff that I never what? thought of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's right. I hate these movies even more now. <laughs> <laughs> preach it, preach it. I'm ready to retcon him now. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, I had so much fun with Richard. Big, big thanks for him stopping by. Again, uh, on Instagram, he's at Richard Horvitz VO, and on Twitter at, uh, I believe he said just Richard Horvitz, and his website, richardhorvitz.com. All these things will be in the link uh, to this episode. If you don't remember, just go down and click on them, and they'll take you right there. And uh, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. So, Jack, what do we have on that website? Go to cannedairpodcast.com where you can listen, like, subscribe, see some YouTube videos, become a patron, buy some merch. And if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. And don't forget to find us on Twitter at cannedairpod and on Instagram at canned underscore air. And again, if you like what we're doing, that website Jack was talking about, two methods of support there, Patreon and the merch page. Get some uh, extra audio or some physical merch uh, for your support. Or if you don't have the money to support us, just go to your podcast player of choice and leave us a review. Uh, write a quick review or hit the hit that little five-star button. I guess you can hit any star you want, but we prefer the five. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that, that bodes better for us. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> <clears throat> And again, evergreenpodcast.com. Check us out there and all the other great shows. All right. And I think that's going to be a wrap on this episode. Damn, that was fun. That was a blast. Time, I, wish, yeah. I wish we were still talking to it. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. But until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Be excellent to each other, everyone. through the ice snow job grab this branch you should have been listening to canned air now we know and knowing is half the battle snow job how'd you get your name um gi this has been a canned air production Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 